Hello, shalom, and welcome to the Awareness of Success podcast. On this podcast, we ask questions like what does success really means and what does it take to be truly successful in all areas of life? We believe that anyone can change their circumstances and create a better life for themselves like I was able to change mine by raising awareness of the habits, mindsets and patterns that create success. My name is Gilad Hanina and I help you change your circumstances by showing you what's possible in a way you can apply what you learn to create your own version of success. On this podcast, we choose to grow in all areas of life. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Awareness of Success podcast. Today's guest is a nutrition researcher, health coach, founder of the Positive Change Project, where he's helping hundreds of people transform their life. But you would never guess how he got started. Nine years ago, Adam Saad tried to end his life by attempting suicide. While his weight was 350 pounds, eating about 5 to 10,000 calories of junk food every single day, taking 450 milligrams of Adderall a day, six days a week, actually dependent on drug, suffering from addictions, diabetes, low self-esteem, and basically he hated his life up to the point where he attempted uh, suicide. I first got a chance uh, to meet Adam and connect with his story when he became one of my clients about six months ago, and I immediately felt connected to his massive life-changing transformation. Help me welcome our guest, Adam Saad. Adam, it's so good to have you here. How are you today? Oh my gosh, Gilad, I am so happy to be here. I'm feeling great. And I, I, I'm just so grateful and honored to have this conversation with you. Um, so I'm, I, I can't wait to get started. Same, same. I waited for this for so long. I just, I, I, I love, I, I feel like in the last six months we connected and we are like brothers now, but I, I getting back, I'm getting back to the feeling where I just first heard about your story. I first heard about uh, how you grew up and just the transformation you were able to do. And like, I literally cried when, when I read and saw all the videos. So I'm very, I'm very happy and excited to have you here. Um, I would love if you can start and just tell everybody, um, the listeners, um, a little bit about your story, how it started and yeah, just feel free to, to start. So, uh, so for everyone, my name is, uh, again, as Galad said, my name is Adam Sud. And my story starts, I like to tell my story from the very beginning. So yeah. I'm a seventh generation Texan and Jew. So I grew up eating burgers and barbecues, burgers and barbecue and bagels and blintzes. Yeah. It's like a standard American diet wearing cowboy boots with some Jewish chutzpah. It was like anything but a healthy diet. Uh, yeah. Meat, dairy, eggs all the time. And growing up, you know, look, I had an amazing childhood because my dad uh, was a, an athlete growing up. And so he taught me how to play sports, mm-hmm. played sports with me, he coached my, my baseball team, my basketball team when I was a kid. Uh, and he played football outside with me and my friends in the neighborhood. We rode our bikes to and from school with my friends. And uh, my mom was very uh, passionate about helping to inspire my imagination but, you know, growing up, there were a few things that profoundly affected me. Mm-hmm. And one of which was my relationship with my myself. And that started about the time I was age 10. And, you know, in Texas in the summer is very hot. Yeah. And so, you, you know, I was born in the early 80s. So this would have been like 1992. You run around outside in just your bathing suit. You know, I come running inside. And I remember my mom and my dad 
they asked me why, you know, I already was like heavy. You know, yeah. Why I was already overweight. Yeah. And, you know, I'm 10 years old. I don't even know what they're talking about. I didn't, I never even thought to consider my weight. And all of a sudden it was like, like that. There was, now there were conditions upon which I could and could not accept myself physically. Mm-hmm. And this really scared me because it opened up a world of possibilities of, well, shit, if there's one condition that I have to meet in order to be loved by other people and acceptable to other people, how many others are there? And why do I not know what they are? And how am I going to find out what they are? Mm-hmm. And so I became at a very young age, very hyper aware of other people and how they would respond to me and the way that they would act. And yeah, I was always looking for cues that would let me know whether there was something wrong with me or what I was doing. And at about the same time I was diagnosed with attention deficit hyperactive disorder. And I, and I had a doctor that decided to put me on Ritalin and you know, look, I was already feeling like there were things that were wrong with me. And I had a doctor who was telling me that there was this condition that I didn't understand. How could I? And that I had to take medicine to correct it, which further confirmed Confirmed, of not being okay. Mm -hmm. That there was, uh, there was always something, there was always going to be more and more things that were going to come up that had to be fixed. And it really sort of, led me down this path, sorry, sort of led me down this path of, um, you know, believing that I was broken. And we yeah. moved to, to Austin from Houston right before I started high school. And I didn't have any friends. I was completely new to the area and starting high school at a very big Texas football high school. And so to put it into perspective, how much football mattered to this high school. Drew Brees was our quarterback. And, um, and so it was very much all about sports. And if you didn't grow up in that area playing football and basketball for those teams, there was, you weren't going to be, you weren't going to be playing sports with them. It didn't matter. Yeah. And so I felt left out and I found it very difficult to make friends. I got bullied a lot as a freshman. And then my prescription from for Ritalin got changed to Adderall. For mm-hmm. those people who are listening, Adderall, if you don't know, is simply another stimulant form of medication used to treat ADHD. However, it's also a very popular party drug and study drug that's used and quite abused and uh, sorry, and abused quite often. In different amounts though. Yeah, and as soon as as soon as people in my school found out that I had Adderall, all of a sudden I got invited to parties. All of a sudden, people wanted to hang out with me. And it was obvious. I wasn't stupid. I knew what was going on, but I didn't care because finally, I found a solution. Yeah, I became valuable to other people and people wanted me around and people wanted me to come to parties and people wanted to be my friend. And, And I can remember, see, I hadn't actually used Adderall as a drug at this point. And I remember being at a party And being invited because I had Adderall and using Adderall as a recreational drug that night. And it was like, boom. It seemed to magically fix 
all of the things that I had believed for so long that were broken about me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was awkward. I was a little overweight as a freshman. Um, I had very poor study habits, which was a, a problem between my dad and I in our relationship. We were constantly fighting. Um, I uh, didn't have a lot of confidence. And as soon as I was on a lot of Adderall, all of a sudden, all those problems started to go away. Disappeared. You know, it gave me this unbelievable confidence. I was very high energy um, and I found everything everyone was talking about interesting. So I could appear to be very interested in what you have to say, whether I thought it was actually interesting or not, which made me make a lot of friends. Uh, I was the life of the party. I was also the guy who brought the drugs to the party, which was great. Um, Adderall is an amphetamine. That's what the stuff is. It's a medically pure form of amphetamine. And so taking extra Adderall allowed me to lose weight with incredible ease, which was also something that I was struggling with ever since I was a kid. I felt like my body was broken, that it was this enemy that I had to outcompete and I never was able to do it. Well, guess what? Adderall became a secret weapon that I had been waiting for. Finally, I was going to outcompete my body. This enemy that made life hard for me was no longer going to win. My study habits, if I take extra Adderall, I am the best studier on earth, right? No problem whatsoever. So my relationship with my dad got better. My relationship with, with, with the kids in high school got better. I had friends. I had girlfriends. I lost the weight. I got a scholarship to the college that I wanted to go to. It seemed to just make me the person I believed I always needed to be with Mm -hmm. unbelievable ease and repeatability. So why in the world would I ever want to stop taking what was so easily making my life everything I ever wanted it to be? Mm -hmm. And when you're in those moments in the beginning of substance abuse, when it doesn't feel like abuse, it really feels like solution it's nearly impossible to actually step outside of yourself and say, this is probably how every drug abuse story starts. I've heard this before, but this, what you do is you say, but that's not me because this feels so successful and I know I have it under control. It will never be different. But yeah. unfortunately, it does always become different. So how? How it becomes different? Well, one of the things that happens is your tolerance changes. So over the course of time, more became not enough. And not enough became a constant, constant problem in my life, right? How much do I have left? How much, how will I get more? How much will it cost? Where will I get the money to pay for it? Uh, Every single day, it was just a constant reoccurrence of this math problem of how much, where do I get it? How much will it cost? Where am I going to get the money to pay for it? All the time. And it just consumed me, right? And this really started to happen and become it. The thing is that your tolerance, you start to gain a tolerance to it really quickly at a very certain point in time. And that's that point in time is different for everyone. But once it starts, it grows rapidly. So once you start needing double, then you need triple, then you need quadruple, it just keeps going up and up and up and up and up. And it became impossible for me to approach life without it. And by the time I was a, a sophomore in college, I, I was just struggling every single day just to get enough drugs. And I didn't want to be a part of the world or my life without it. 
And so you couldn't. I dropped out of college. I moved back home to Austin. And that's when I started to engage in criminal drug behavior. I started buying and selling drugs on the street. Um, I started stealing from people. I started to scam people. I would treat my family like absolute garbage. I mean, I, the only time I would ever want to be around my parents was to either get money or things from them to buy drugs or to just get mad and angry and blame them for everything that was going wrong in my life. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I found myself in some unbelievably dangerous situations. There were times when I got, you know, I would be at a bar or a club trying to buy drugs, go out in the back of the alley to go buy the drugs and then just get beaten and get robbed. Really? And that would happen, you know, a couple times, but you know, you just, when you're in it and drugs are everything, you just, you, you know, you don't even see what's happening. Yeah. You only see the drugs, how can you get them? And, and that's all your life. That's all your toes all going around. Like, when can I get more drugs? When do I need them? How do I get them? And it was like every single day was just this attempt to cover up what was actually going on so that I could look like I've got enough of my life under control to not only convince other people, to con but also to convince myself yeah. that no, no worries. I'm going to get it back under control. Nothing's wrong here. And, you know, it's interesting because it's such a slight and subtle and almost imperceptible shift into that place. But, you know, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I started to isolate. I started to um, uh, cut myself off from my family and friends And I was using so much Adderall and opiates at that point that I would usually run out in about six to seven days. And for the next two weeks, I would just binge on fast food. And I would be eating around five to 10,000 calories of fast food on a regular basis so that I could numb myself up, feel sick, disconnect myself from my body, and just pass the time until I could get more Adderall. Yeah. And then when I got the drugs, the average prescription for someone using Adderall is about 10 milligrams every 24 hours. I was using a minimum of 450 milligrams per day oh my for God. six consecutive days. I wouldn't sleep. I wouldn't eat. I would just be up all day and all night high on Adderall. And by day four, I would start to experience, you know, hallucinations and uh, beginnings of drug-induced psychosis. And then I would pop opiates so that I could actually force myself to fall asleep so that I could start the process of eating fast food again. And it was this really awful cycle of physical abuse, mental abuse, and then doing horrible things to get drugs that made me hate myself, which would want, force me to want to use drugs to escape myself Then I needed to do the process over again so I could get more drugs. And it was just, it was an all-consuming experience that just removed me from living. Everything yeah. was about how do I get more just so that I could use, so that I could feel normal enough, even though nothing was normal about it. Yeah. And by the time I was 30, um, I had reached a weight of 350 pounds. Um, I was already, already experiencing erectile dysfunction for reasons I didn't understand. Um, I was feeling sick all the time. Uh, I was getting migraines all the time. And, uh, you know, I had been battling 
suicidal thoughts at this point for probably six months, maybe longer. But there wasn't ever really a point where I had like decided to make a plan of any kind to end my life. Um, but on August 21st of 2012, you know, when you're at a point where every single day, the things that are painful about your life are the worst they've ever been. And you're at a point where you're absolutely certain that tomorrow will be worse. Eventually, tomorrow is something you just cannot be a part of. And I had been trying for about a year at this point to just hate myself and my life enough that I would hopefully want to do something about it. I would self-harm. I would beat myself. Um, I was living like a hoarder. Uh, I would do anything and everything in the attempt that I could make myself so damn miserable that I would be- that it was a belief that if I could do that enough, eventually I'd say enough is enough. I want to change. The problem with that mindset is that it just disconnects you from the belief that you're ever going to be a part of the world again, hmm. that you're worthy of it. And on August 21st of 2012, I said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. You know, um, living hurt in every possible way, physically, spiritually, emotionally. And I tried to end my life by suicide. Um, I grabbed a handful of pills. I threw them down my throat and, you know, I was doing extensive drug use for 10 years. And so, you know, being at the close to an overdose experience wasn't something that was new to me. But this just felt distinctly different. And I can remember trying to stand up. My entire right side of my body just cramped. It felt like I got stabbed with a hot knife in the side. And I, I buckled over and I, I see all this, you know, you know how if you stand up real quick, sometimes, you know, it gets... You see, you see some black in your eyes. Black in your eyes, right? It was... It did that. And then all of a sudden, it was like it, the world just closed its doors on me. And I, you know, it was like the universe was requesting that I no longer be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I passed out on the floor. Uh, and, you know, thankfully, I woke up a few hours later in a puddle of my own vomit in a pile of fast food garbage surrounded by empty pill bottles in a filthy, dark apartment with nobody around me, not because they hadn't tried for years to be there for me, but because I had done everything I could to make sure that they couldn't be there for me. Yeah, It was the most terrifying and profound experience I've ever had. And I felt this unbelievable sense of relief. And what was so interesting about feeling relief in that moment was that it, it caused me to pause and consider that the relief I was feeling was a result of there being something about myself and my life that I loved enough that even though I knew today was going to be just as painful, if not more painful than the day before, I still wanted to be a part of this world for one more day. There was still something about myself and my life that I wanted to be a part of for one more day. And what that told me was that suicide is never an attempt to end someone's life. It is an attempt to end their pain. Hmm. And you know, 
I think about it now and, you know, I was that person. I was the stereotype where people would say to you, say to me, you know, hey, don't you see what's happening to you as a way, as a result of what you're doing with the food and the drugs? You know, don't you know like how, what the harm it's causing? I would say to them and say, hey, you know what? Fuck you. You know, if this causes me, cost me five years, fine. I'm okay with it. I'm fine with that, you know? And, yeah. you know, I mean, shit. I threw that number out there like it was nothing. Five years? You know, if I had been successful, you know, what would God have, you know, my, my family, they would probably give everything they have just to be with me for five more days. Shit, five hours would be huge. You know, the things that we choose to believe about ourselves have consequences on us and the people that we care about. And I picked up the phone and I called my parents and I asked for help. And two weeks later, I checked into rehab treatment where I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, erectile dysfunction, bipolar disorder, suicidal depression, anxiety disorder, sleep disorder, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, and attention deficit disorder. And put on a cabinet's worth of medication for life. And, you know, I was the walking cliché in rehab. You know, I walked in and honestly was like, look, I'm going to do 28 days in here. It's going to allow me to get a handle on things and I'll go home and I'll use, but I'll have it under control again. No shit. Like that was my story. And thankfully I was, I was in this situation where I got to see how sick I was beyond the drug use. Yeah. Because I had to then accept the fact that if I didn't change everything about the way that I moved through the world, Drugs or not, I wasn't going to live another five years. And, you know, about a year before my suicide attempt, I had the opportunity to attend an event hosted by a, ban- a man named Rip Esselstyn, who is the executive produ- producer of the documentary The Game Changers. Hmm. He's also the author of The Engine 2 Diet. Uh, and his father is the famous Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn from the movie Forks Over Knives. And I learned from this event about the power of plant-based nutrition and its ability to reverse disease. And, you know, I'm sitting here listening to this doctor in front of me in the treatment center saying, you are diabetic, you are an addict, you are all of these things and you always will be. But then I had these other doctors and thought leaders at this event saying, you know what the truth is? There's nothing wrong with you at all. The reason why you find yourself suffering with these conditions is not because your body's broken. It's because your body is responding exactly as predicted. How it should respond. Had been living your life. Yeah. This isn't a problem. This isn't your body being broken. This is a reasonable response to an abnormal way of living. And if you simply make some changes, your body will have the same predictable response of reversal. And I decided that that was going to be the truth that I would own in regards to my recovery. And I said, you know what? I don't know a lot about this emotional stuff yet, the addiction, the psychology, all that. But I I know from my understanding that when it comes to nutrition and movement, A plus B equals C. You eat right, you move right, you get results. Mm -hmm. And I was going to make that sort of like the foundation of my recovery. And so I adopted a plant-based diet while in treatment for the next 10 months. And as a result of doing so, 
within four of those months, within the first four months, I completely reversed my diabetes, my heart disease, really? erectile dysfunction. Within 10 months, I lost over 100 pounds. And within one year, I was off of every single medication I was put on in rehab, all the antidepressants, the mood stabilizers, the sleeping medications, the anxiety medications, the ADHD medications, and have had every single one of those diagnoses completely removed from my medical charts. Even though the, these doctors told you it will always be this way. That I would always be on it. Yeah. Every, the, all, the doctor at the treatment center said, there's nothing I can do about it. Heart disease, diabetes. All of it. High cholesterol, yeah. And uh, as of today, I've lost 180 pounds. Wow. Um, I'm eight years sober. But you know what's interesting is I can remember my first week in sober living, which is I spent 37 days in the rehab hospital. And then I moved into a facility that's called sober living facility, but it's like a halfway house yeah. where you live with other people. You're not locked away. You can go and, you know, outside and go for walks and you're in the, in, in, in the city. I was in Los Angeles and they take you to your therapy and your, you know, your recovery meetings, but you're essentially have more freedom. And it was in, in the re, it was in the sober living facility when I had this moment because I was still fighting myself. I was still trying to, at that time, I was trying to outcompete my body. I was using food as a way to restrict and avoid things that were not serving me. And it made me feel very angry when I would do it. It would make me feel uh, fearful of things that I would encounter. And I, mm -hmm. I paused and considered, look, you know, I've, I spent my entire life thinking that my body was out to get me that my body was just always going to want me to be fat and I had to do everything I could to restrict calories and food and avoid and, and abstain from behaviors and try as best I could to lose as much as possible, but it was always going to be a battle. And then I had this moment where I was like, wait a minute, hang on a second. I had been abusing my body with drugs and food for 10 years Yeah, and I didn't die. And even when I tried to end my life, my body said, no way, man, we're not done yet. What if my body has always been my partner in life? What if my body has never once given up on me? What if it has been fighting for me since the day I was born and I just didn't know how to be the proper caretaker yeah. for this body? What if I decide not to avoid and abstain from certain things, but rather create a, a set of values and priorities that, that allow me, that direct me towards choices that take care of this body? In that way, I'm not doing anything, I'm not making food choices around removing what I hate about myself, but rather I'm making choices in regards to food and movement that show my body how much I love and appreciate it. That's amazing. And, you know, I think that that's a really important thing because people think that negative consequences cause people to make changes in their life. Mm -hmm. And it's complete bullshit. Negative consequences have never motivated anybody to make changes in their life. What's great about negative consequences is that they highlight a meaningful and loving bond in your life that is being threatened. And it is that bond that's being threatened. That is a loving bond. That, you, that is why we will do 
anything that we do in this life. It's why we learn to do things we already do better. And it's why we will learn new things so that we can show up better for ourselves, right? Look, from the outside looking in, people would probably say, it's so obvious why he's doing this. He weighs 350 pounds. He has diabetes and heart disease. He nearly died from substance abuse. That has to be his motivation, his why for doing this. Mm -hmm. And while it's true, all of those things were happening. Yeah, I had diabetes and heart disease. I weighed 350 pounds and I didn't want to die. Why not? What was it about my life that I loved enough that meant so much to me that I would willing to be that I would be willing to be comfortable being uncomfortable for as long as it took in order to create the life and connections and meaning that I so desperately wanted to regain. Yeah. What was it about my life that I loved enough, not hated enough? What were the choices I wanted to make, not avoid? That is the basis for self-love and recovery. So this is how you truly this is how you truly found your power to to recover. So what what was it? Like uh, actually, I actually want to ask like going back into recovery, you just you just attempted suicide. You um you are in the lowest point of your life. Like how how did you actually find the power to to do all that? And I, I know we we have probably a ton of people listening who are maybe in the same situation or or um, even just feeling they have low self-esteem and and in their they are in the lowest point of their life. So how did you find the power and like what people can take from it to find their own power to make change? One thing I would say is that for anybody who's struggling with substance abuse, if you're dealing with, you know, uh, obesity, if you're dealing with anger, anxiety, depression, the first thing you have to more so than likely, I would say with almost with complete certainty, mm-hmm. what we're dealing with makes sense. It's not crazy. It's not pathology. It's a reasonable response to what is going on in your life, right? Addiction is not about the chemical hooks in substances. Addiction is about not wanting to be present in your life because your life has become too painful a place to be. And that Mm. pain that you're experiencing probably makes sense for a number of reasons that are reasonable, right? We can identify them over the course of time through investigation of yourself and what you're dealing with, and we can see how they make sense and why they arise. So one, you're not broken because of what you feel. You feel because you're a human, and that's what we do. We feel, and it's how we navigate in directions to find out how we best show up for ourselves. Things like anger, anxiety, depression, these aren't problems. They're not negative feelings. Feelings aren't good or bad. They just are. And they arise for a reason. They don't just happen. They arise for a reason. And the reason can be identified and it can guide us towards the decisions that we want to make and how we want to show up. So one, you're not broken. You never have been. More than likely, you're dealing with things you don't understand properly. And that's okay. It's okay to not know how to do things. It's very easy for us to say, well, I know what to do to be happy and healthy, but knowing what to do and knowing how to do it are two completely separate things, Yes. right? You're doing the best you can with what you know. And more than likely, if you could have done differently, you would have done differently. So if you can't figure out how to do it on your own right now, it's okay. Lean into support from others who have done what you're trying to do, who want to give you that support and guidance. And then create a series of values and priorities for how you want to connect to this life. Human beings have this unbelievable, profound need to bond. 
We want a, uh, uh, a meaningful and loving bond with ourselves, both physically and emotionally, that we want to show up and be present for every single day. We, have a, uh, we want to have a meaningful and loving bond with people in our lives that we want to share our value with and whom we want them to share their value with us. And we want to show up for that every single day. We want to have a meaningful and loving bond with a purpose beyond ourselves within a community of shared respect that we want to show up and be present for every single day. And we want to have a meaningful and loving bond with a future that makes sense to us and is achievable that we want to show up and be present for every single day. And when those bonds are severed, any one of them or any a number of them, maybe all of them, maybe not all of them, if they're severed by any means, for whatever reason, trauma, no matter how small or large, we start to, you start to see these symptoms arising, these signals. You start to feel angry. You start to feel anxious. You start to feel depressed. And then we want to say, oh, it's pathology. It's brain chemistry. That's causation. Mm-hmm. No, more than likely, the brain chemistry that shifts afterwards is not causation. It's a result of living in that state of disconnection for far too long. One of my favorite quotes is, just as humans have needed have evolved to need a tribe, I'm sorry, just as bees have evolved to need a hive, humans have evolved to need a tribe. Hmm. We need to feel a part of the goings-on of the community around us. And when we are disconnected from that ability to show up and be present and share value with the community around us, we start to see our bodies and our emotions behaving in ways that are confusing. And so understanding yes. that, no, one, you're not broken, and no, two, that there is an attempt that you have to make to reconnect to those meaningful bonds in life that give you the experience of being alive and create values and priority for yourself that drive you towards those connections and use those values and priorities as a compass to guide you towards decisions that either take you towards those connections or away from it. And it's going to take time. It's going to take work, but it's always going to be worth it. There's got to be a willingness to be comfortable being uncomfortable and an understanding that discipline is a daily decision between what you want now and what you want most. Have that whatever it is that most clearly defined so you can hold it front and center every single day. You don't have to be perfect. You don't, the, I like to tell people that the person who gets an A- minus on every test is a straight-A student. Right? You don't have to get it perfect, but you do have to try to do really well every day that it makes Adam it makes tons of sense I'm like I'm, I'm getting super emotional about this and um, I, I I want you to go back into this feeling where you said um, you, you actually attempted suicide and this this was the moment that raised your awareness that um, you want to make change that uh, and, and you started finding the, the reasons for you to love yourself and to have the power to change right but I I'm I'm coming with a perspective, like you said, that the negative act, the event, uh, the pain is not what causes us to make change. So a lot of people are suffering from from anxiety, suffering from um, problems with their mental health, maybe their physical body, their emotions. So how can people who are aware that they are suffering, but like they were in the same situation, they know that they don't like their life, but someday I would change. Someday I would... Uh, something would happen and I would change the way I live. So how, how can they create change and start by making a decision without going to this end, end of the road to understand, okay, this is, this is the time I need to change? Well, 
most people will get a sense that things are going awry in their life, right? We may not want to come to terms with it, but most of us know things don't feel okay. And if you start to feel that sense of things not being okay on a constant basis, try to be as honest with yourself as possible, but also giving yourself grace and compassion and knowing that it's more than likely a result of wanting to do things differently and not knowing how. And if that's the truth, if that's the case, you're not just going to be able to figure it out on your own. Yes. So like myself, I checked into treatment and then I followed a program, right? Rip Esselstyn and his Engine 2 program was like my guide, my blueprint for how I was going to create the health, the physical health that I wanted. And then I, I reached, I looked out for, uh, you know, sort of coaches and stuff like that. There's an amazing book by a woman named Kristen Neff. She's a self-compassion researcher. It's a book called Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. And then there's a, an amazing journalist named Johan Hari who wrote a book called Lost Connections. What I did was I found people that I could look to who had knowledge that I didn't have. And I used their knowledge and said, you know what? I don't have to do this for the rest of my life. But I know that I don't know how to do this right now. Here is some knowledge that they're saying if I do this, it's going to potentially and have a greater statistical likelihood of making my life better. I'm going to do this thing for the next seven days. That's all. Seven days. Remove permanence from it. See how, how it affects. See what happens over the course. Don't try to look for results. Try to connect to the behavior, right? I always tell people, think about it like running a race. Like if someone wants to be a runner to run a race, right, then they show up for the race. Now, here's the thing. If you show up for the race, not only can you not see the finish line, you never have to see it to get there. The only thing that's possible for you at the beginning is the road that's in front of you, your pace, your step, and your breath. And you continually look for signs that guide you down the course towards the, the finish line, line right? Mm -hmm. Consistently look for cues that say, now it's time to go this way. Now it's time to go back this way. Now it's time to go this way. This is the direction towards the finish line. But you stay focused on your pace, your step, and your breath. Now here's the thing. The person who does that and gets to the finish line, who's been focused on the finish line the whole time, may not ever run again. The, purpose, the, the person who's focused on their pace, their step, and their breath and falls in love with the act of running reaches the finish line and also probably continues to run for the rest of their life. Because That's when you fall in love with the behavior, not only do the results take care of themselves, but you keep doing those things that have done that for you for the rest of your life. So if I if I'm transitioning this into a more simpler words, I would say it's it's fall in love with the habits, the the way you think, the way you learn, the way focus on your daily activities, focus on that, improve that, focus on the daily the daily activities and not the end result. Know why why you're doing them, and uh, and that would serve you so you can keep doing that consistently day in day out, day in day out. And know that like how you do it now does not mean that's how you have to do it in two weeks. Things are always going to change. I, I like to, to give people the uh, tell us, I, I think human beings are story creatures. We learn really well through storytelling. So I think about the Apollo mission to the moon, all right? Okay. 1969, humanity uh, completed one of the greatest feats we'll ever do. We took human beings from Earth and we put them on the moon, okay? This is one of the greatest feats in human history. Now, one might think, 
in a feat such as that, to that grand of a scale, we must have known exactly what to do in order to get from the Earth to the moon and land on the moon and put people on it, right? There's yeah. no way we could have left it up to chance. We must have known the entire journey's path from start to finish. I'm going to ask you right now, Galad, do you know what percentage of the flight course the shuttle was actually on course to the moon? I don't, and I can assume, uh, actually, I don't know. <laughs> I, the, answer, the answer is 2%. Really? So they, they, they didn't know? 2% of the time, hmm. actually on course to the moon, 98% of the time, they were making course corrections. So they were focusing on these daily activities. They were focusing on the road. They were focusing on how do I make the necessary course corrections to keep moving forward? Yes. Uh, am I doing it perfectly? Am I moving towards my goal and making the necessary course corrections that will get me there? Right? They spent 98% of the flight time Amazing. figuring out how to do it in a way that will be safe and effective. Right? Mm, yeah. Because it's one thing to get to the moon. It's another to do it safely and in a way that feels good to you. And when it comes to habit change, you want to create habits that feel good and that can be done with ease and repeatability. When That's, you figure that out, that really is the goal for sustainability with habits, right? I like yes. to tell people that habits don't get easier. We get better at doing them with ease and repeatability. We get used to the habits. We get better at doing it. That's the thing. It's like uh, lifting 100 pounds will always take the same amount of effort to lift, but if you do it enough times, your body gets stronger and you can do it easier. It still requires the same amount of strength to lift, but the reps that you've put in have built a system that says, I am now able to do it easier. Mm. Same thing with emotional habits, with food habits, with other movement habits. It takes consistent repeatability and a way to do it with ease over the course of time. That makes tons of sense. So if, if we are actually talking about habits, this was so valuable. So here in the Awareness of Success podcast, we actually focus on, on the habits, mindset, and patterns that create success. Now, you were able to do an amazing transformation with your life, and you have accomplished such a great success. Um, what is your, I would say, set of routine, habits, mindset that you practice daily? And you can go into nutrition, to when, when, when the moment you wake up, to the moment you go to sleep. And I, I actually want to divide it into two segments. I want you to cover what you did in recovery, what you did from the moment that to, uh, from your lowest point in your life to create a change, and what are you actually doing right now to maintain and, and keep going with your life? So when I first checked into, into recovery, I didn't really know what to do. So I found a blueprint, right? I found this book called The Engine yes. 2 Diet. And I said, all right, I'm just going to do this thing and I'm going to do it incredibly simply. I'm not going to try to make recipes. I'm going to find foods that are in the recipes that I like to eat, right? That was oatmeal, it was black beans, it was fruit, it was, you know, steamed vegetables, and, and I found some sauces. And I just said, all right, these are the foods that I like. So I'm going to eat these foods every single day. I'm going to make it so simple to put these foods on my plate that it's nearly impossible for me to come up with an excuse not to do it. Mm -hmm. It's so simple that it's nearly impossible to fail. And I literally did that. I ate the same meals for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, for 10 months. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to do that, but what I wanted to do for myself was one, I didn't want to try and make every recipe in the world. I wanted to create an environment 
that allowed my body the opportunity to show me what it's capable of if I live in alignment with these values long enough. So I showed up and I created values and priorities around food that were about how do I take care of my body as an act of self-love and self-care and an affirmation of change. And I said, if there, are, if I'm presented with two choices, one, one isn't right and one isn't wrong. One is either in alignment with those values and priorities and one isn't. That's how I looked at it. There's no right, there's no wrong, there's alignment or there's not. And if it's in alignment, I go that way. If it's not, I go the other way. So that everything can, uh, can be attributed to how do I take care of myself? How am I the loving caretaker of my body and myself? The same thing with therapy, right? And how I felt. If an anger arises, I'm not failing. If temptation arises, I'm not failing. It makes sense. It's reasonable. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to hold those values and priorities front and center and say, I'm going to go this way or this way. It's normal. Yeah. The direction that I go is either it is defined by which way takes me towards that version I'm trying to create, right? Yes. With movement, I don't have to like run a marathon or try to run further every single day. I just have to move my body every day in a way that feels good and is something that I want to do on a regular basis. And that was my, you know, that was the basis for my recovery in treatment. Now okay. it's evolved over the course of time. Uh, with food, I still eat a whole food plant-based diet because it still aligns with my values and priorities, not only for my health, but for the environment and for the animals. Okay. So I eat a plant-based and I live a vegan lifestyle. I move my body every single day. I've gotten a lot more into weight training and you know muscle building as an exploration of what is possible for me, right? I'm not doing this to get to the perfect physique. I'm lifting weights to explore what my body is capable of from a loving place, right? Mm -hmm. Not that like once I get like, you know, big enough muscles, then I'm good enough. No, in this moment, I am lifting weights because I am worthy of exploring what my body is capable of. Just like when I started, I'm not eating, I didn't decide to eat plants in the hopes that I would become healthy, in the hopes that I would love myself when I reverse the disease, when I lose the weight, no. I decided to eat plants because I created an identity for myself that said, I am a healthy person who eats plants. That's why I make the decision. Yes. I really believe that identity has to come first. You have to fully own the identity of a person who moves their body with purpose, who eats healing foods, who uh, practices self-love. And that's why the behaviors happen. Don't do the behaviors in the hopes that you will one day see yourself as that. No, see, see yourself as it right here, right now, because that's who you are and that's what you're worth. And then the crazy. behaviors are driven by that identity. And so, so I still live by those values. This is crazy. It's crazy that you're saying that. And I believe that as well. You need to see the person that you want to become and act every single day and understand what acts you need to take to create this person. Now, I do... Not only see who you want to become, but then see yourself as that person right now. Right now, yes. You are that person right now. You always have been. You just haven't lived in alignment with it. Yes. It's okay. Nothing's wrong. Just start right now. Amazing. Amazing. So let's talk about, um, and this will be one of the, la of the last questions that I want to ask you, is you, you, you were able to create this amazing change. Now, we, we heard how it impacted your life um, in the physical way, in the emotional way. You were able to create change, improve your body, your health, um, everything. Now, how it what impact it had more than that in terms of your personal life, your business life? Like, how was it 
what what change were you able to create for yourself in in I don't know explain that in a few minutes uh, amazingly it's been the most incredible journey ever uh, in the last uh, say six years you know, I spent you know two years of actively in you know practicing recovery and self-love and I want people to know like this change that happened for me the health it didn't happen overnight right of course. it was something that took me a year and then another year of practicing you know how am I going to move forward from here but I have been you I am right now a diabetes and food addiction coach with a, gr- a program called Mastering Diabetes where we help people reverse insulin resistance through the use of low-fat plant-based whole food nutrition. Amazing. I am also the executive director and founder of a nonprofit called Plant-Based for Positive Change that is running the very first controlled trial investigating the effects of diet on early addiction recovery outcomes. There's never been a study doing this ever before. So we are the very first. In- we... We will have the study completed and published in medical journals by this summer. It's literally going to change everything. We're very excited about it. I'm also the founder of uh, the Positive Change Project, which is a small group coaching program, meaning that uh, between 10 and 15 people per group for six weeks where you join me on weekly video calls. plus access to a private Facebook page, and then course material coming this summer. There'll be an even bigger program launching this summer um, where you come with me and I help you. I help you figure out your values and priorities. The great thing is, is I'm your guide in this program. And what we're going to do is we're going to create habits and behaviors that align with the values and priorities you want to show up for and connect those habits with, To meaningful bonds in your life that create sustainability right we are going to create systems and practices that Amazing. allow you to create meaningful connections to the habits that create the life you want to live uh, we've I've been running this program now since January we've had four groups so far it has been unbelievable what is happening to people in this I mean people come in and then six weeks are like they'll say you know before I was literally just shutting myself away I I was having uh, you know I didn't care what I ate I couldn't sleep and now I have just I'm starting to feel like this confident human who wants to be out in the world and is eating healing foods that feel good to me and I'm moving my body and I'm sleeping and it's amazing and so uh, I uh, I'm just I can't explain like it, it feels so crazy to think that literally eight years ago eight years ago I was on the floor. who just survived a suicide attempt and now I'm living the biggest most amazing life I could have never imagined then you know it's so amazing what's what's also so amazing for me is like you weren't only improving your life experiencing all this allowed you to impact so many other people's life like right now what you're doing it's a mission and and the values that you teach and the people you help to it's a mission and um, and I love it I saw the results of the people working with you. Um, helping them change their life so I'm just I'm so passionate and and actually I'm grateful for you doing this and helping so many people with the impact that you were doing so absolutely crazy yeah, the other thing is I get to work with you yeah <laughs> I get to work with you which is just an amazing thing so I mean you know it's just it's just been incredible that's that's amazing Adam I'm, I'm so grateful and, and I appreciate you for sharing all these. Um, I'm sure everybody was gonna listen uh, is gonna be grateful for you sharing all this valuable uh, information and story and uh, yeah if people want to connect with you they want to reach out where where's the best place to reach out to reach you out you can um, you can find me on Instagram at plant-based addict uh, I also have a Facebook page by the same title plant-based addict 
And you can uh, go to my nonprofit website, plantbasedforpositivechange.org. Um, and those are the, my main places you can see, you can connect with me on social media or, or via, uh, you know, uh, my website. And before we close, um, because, you know, it's very common and it's unfortunate, but uh, as a person in long-term recovery, uh, I've unfortunately lost 10 friends, very dear friends to suicide and overdose. Really? And you, what I want to say, I want to say two things. What I want to say to people out there is if you know someone who's struggling, and more than likely every single person on here knows someone who's struggling, they don't have to be struggling severely. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I want you to pick up the phone and I want you to call that person. I want you to call that person. And when they answer the phone, I want you to say, I love you. I love you whether you're using or you're not. I love you whether you're struggling or you're not. I love you whatever state you're in. And if you need me, if you ever need me, I will come and sit with you because I don't want you to be alone or feel alone. If you do that, people will feel seen and heard for who they are, not what they struggle with. Hmm. And they may ask you to stay with them. And if you can sit with them long enough, they may ask you for help. Amazing. It may seem small. It may seem like, you know, subtle. But the simple act of being with somebody, just being there with someone can literally soften their entire world. It's, it's exactly the opposite, uh, the opposite of how everybody is looking because everybody, all the environment is judging, is just looking on, on like, hey, you are like this, hey, you're that, hey, do this, improve this. So when you're in this state, you just push everybody away. So just having somebody to, to just listen, just want to be there with you, not judging, not just being with you. People who are struggling don't want answers as much as they want to be reminded that they've not been forgotten. Yes. That's what it is. And the Amazing. last thing I want to say is my one of my very closest friends who unfortunately I lost, uh, not to suicide or overdose, unfortunately to uh, complications from surgery um, uh, about a year and a half ago. He said one of, one, of the, one of the best things I've ever heard. We've all heard the saying that if you want to be happy, you got to live like it's the last day of your life. Right? We've hmm. all heard that. Yeah. Steve Jobs. Yeah. David Clark said that that statement is wrong. That if you want to be healthy, if you want to be happy, you have to treat everyone else as if they were living the last day of theirs. Hmm. And so take that with you all today. You know, live that quote from David Clark today in honor. Uh, and I appreciate it. Amazing. Thank you so much, Adam. I'm, <laughs> I'm so excited right now. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Appreciate it. Love you so much. And uh, yeah, I will talk to you soon. All right, man. Take care. I'll see you. All right. And we are done. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it so much. And I'm actually curious, what is the number one thing that you have learned from this podcast episode and how are you going to implement it into your life? Send me a message on Instagram, a direct message, Degilad Hanina on Instagram, and I would love to hear from you. Now, if you're getting tremendous value from this podcast, I would really appreciate it and it would mean a lot to help us grow if you could subscribe, leave a rating and review to our podcast. That's it for today's episode and I will see you on the next. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.